Well, thank you, choir. Good to be with you this morning, everyone. Um, as was mentioned, we are in a sermon series called Streams of Living Water. We're going to take a look at the charismatic stream this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, we began this series by looking at the contemplative stream, which is really reflecting on our prayer life and how we connect to God through prayer in the secret place. Then last week, we talked about the holiness tradition, and the holiness tradition is learning to live a well-ordered life with God. And this morning, we're looking at the charismatic stream, which can be defined as living a spirit-empowered life. And so I'm excited to share with you this morning, but one of the things that I'm hoping that you are doing as we are going through these six streams is that you're taking inventory and you're reflecting on each stream and you're thinking about the streams you're comfortable with and the streams that you're less comfortable with. In a way, each one of these streams can generate a testimony for us as we learn and we grow in our life with God. One of the ways to think about this and to talk about this is to talk about developing a personal history with God. If somebody asks you, what is your personal history with God, how might you answer them? The reason for developing a personal history with God is so that we can both study um, scripture and to get to know God through his word that's given to us and that the church has studied and, and tried to understand and to live into, and then to move into practice, um, to do the things that we're learning. And you know, we need to do both of those things, because if we do one of them or the other of them, this is where we end up feeling uncomfortable with certain streams within the church. So when we keep... Uh, just the study of the scriptures. We live in the realm of theory, don't we? We just get really good at knowing everything that is in the book. And what Paul says is when we know everything that's in the book, we get knowledge. But if we just have knowledge, then what happens? We get puffed up, right? And we get really puffed up on just having this knowledge of the scriptures. And when we get so knowledgeable about the scriptures, but we don't actually practice the scriptures, we don't have that necessary element of being humbled by actually trying to do what it says. And the result of that is that we have this perfect image of what the scripture is in our minds, and we can actually use that when we see other people trying to practice their faith and say, well, it's not as perfect as what I've studied and what I've learned, and so they're not doing it correctly, but you know that when you take an idea and try and bring it into the real world, there is this way in which things get messy and difficult, and that's why we kind of like to study but we don't always bring things into the real world, right? When you're trying to learn something new, it is deeply humbling. My son right now 
is just beginning his first Little League experience. And man, is that an exercise in patience. I don't know if you've ever watched little kids learn how to play baseball, but it is one of the most boring activities that I've ever watched in my life as they swing over and over and over, and we all just pray and hope that they make contact with the ball so we can move on to the next kid. That's what learning is really like. It's this humbling experience of missing the ball over and over and over again and being willing to miss so that one day you might learn how to actually hit the ball and take these ideas from the realm of theory and into our messy, difficult lives with success, okay? And then the other thing that, um, the, the way we can kind of miss it on the other end is by just living in the realm of experience. Now, one of the ways we might illustrate this I wanna give to you is, um, I would call this the way that Peter puts Ikea furniture together realm of ministry, where, uh, and I think every young married couple should uh, try this at least once just to see their real dynamic, right? But uh, I remember when we were early married, Katie would, ask me, she's been working so hard, Peter, would you please put together a piece of Ikea furniture? And I said, of course, because I was young and in love, even though I had no idea how to put a piece of furniture together. That's not what my degree is in. And I would just kind of ignore the directions and just start building the piece of furniture, right? And so all of a sudden, halfway through, I start looking at it and things start looking lopsided, like they're not gonna work. And Katie would come over and kind of analyze how I was doing with the project, see that I was completely miserable. And then she'd say, did you even look at the directions for this piece of furniture? And then what was supposed to be helpful is now turning into double the amount of stress as she has to take everything apart, look at the directions, and then remake it in a way that it's actually going to be useful for the household, correct? And so there's a way in which over time, As a church, we build experience upon experience upon experience to the point where we can actually think the experience itself is what matters. And we need to go back to the scriptures and study, okay, what did these things really look like for the early church? How were they taught and corrected and, 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 and understood so that as the church, as people trying to follow Jesus Christ, we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? And so this learning and this practice go hand in hand. We learn and we practice and we go back and forth. And if you know anything about learning something, you know that it takes both of those things that, you know, the words and the knowledge will not come alive to you until you want to put them into practice, right? Because they're not relevant to you if they're not changing your life. And then as they change your life, as you put them into practice and you develop this personal history and you go from the realm of theory into true knowledge, then you can move back and you can say, oh, I want to know more. You see, I've discovered the contemplative stream and I've learned how to pray and connect to the vine of Jesus Christ, but now I want to live a holy life so that I can have more and more of who God is. And so as we study and practice, we grow in our sanctification and our faith. And so that's my 
goal for this morning. So as you take inventory, I'd love to know your stories with the different streams of the church. One of uh, my stories comes from learning kind of the full 180 when it comes to the charismatic stream of the church. In fact, I'll never forget um, being a 20-something in my first time in ministry and coming out of church and having a completely different experience with church than my boss, who I was working with at the time. And by the time we had gotten into the van and we were reflecting about church, it turned into one of those great theological arguments, you know, those really fun ones that end so well. You see, the thing that was going on was that she had loved the passionate worship and the bold preaching, and she thought that the church was wonderful that day. But I was caught up on this one part of the service where within the service we were new to the church they made a big pitch. And the big pitch that week was to get new lighting for the sanctuary. And I had just spent the week caring for these homeless kids in the inner city of Anchorage, Alaska. And so that pitch was bumping up against my justice stream. Now I was wondering how this church that was in the same neighborhood who cared more about their lights than they did about these kids in the streets um, could possibly live with themselves by making that pitch. But the reality is, I didn't know anybody at this church. I didn't know what they were doing or what they weren't doing. I had just had all this baggage from growing up that had started from when I was watching TV and seeing those televangelists that dressed funny and talked funny and asked for money over and over and over again and a trial attorney father who said, yeah, we should probably be a little bit skeptical of anybody who's asking for money over and over and over again and we need to be discerning when it comes to the things of our faith and I had brought that into that minivan. And I don't know if you've ever had a theological fight with your boss, but it does not show up well on your review later. (laughs) And ultimately, all it did was divide an already exhausted team. But it also showed me that the things that I was thinking in my head and had assumed about this tradition, this charismatic tradition of the church, They didn't always land so well when I had spoken them out loud and seen how people reacted to what I was saying. And so I had to have this learning moment of realization that maybe what I had done by being skeptical of the whole movement was to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so we turn to the scriptures to see Is there a charismatic stream running through the scriptures? And you know, because we've seen abuses on every one of these traditions, sometimes our tendency is to just throw them out and to ignore them. And to say, well, I'm not going to go to one of those head-slapping churches, you know, that's not who I am, that's not the kind of Christian I am. But what we lose when we throw everything out is that we pay lip service maybe sometimes to the Holy Spirit, but we never actually talk about how the Holy Spirit is here with us right now, wanting to do work in our lives and in our world. 
And so how do we come to know the Holy Spirit? Because Richard Foster defines the Holy Spirit as like the fuel for the Christian. And so if you're grinding your gears this morning, if you feel dry, if you feel like you've been working really hard at your spiritual life, but you're not really experiencing any movement, any flow, then that's when we need to come looking towards the Scripture's invitation to receive and surrender to the Holy Spirit that is our fuel. In order to help us to understand it, of course, we want to go to the Scriptures. So I'm going to read um, a couple Scriptures. There's so many (laughs) on the Holy Spirit, it was hard to choose this week. But as I do, will you pray with me and we'll read God's Word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have together. Um, I pray that uh, you would give us your helper, Lord, your advocate to be with us as your church here in this place, um, to encourage us, to help us, to make us uh, excited to know you and to live a life under your love and compassion and care and in your church. Your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's going to be in John 14 first, and then we're going to go to John 16. John 14, starting at verse 15, says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples in what is known as the upper room discourse. You know, the, the 13 chapters before this span two years of Jesus' life, but it's as if right in chapter 14, the pause button is hit, and all of a sudden, there's these long discourses that Jesus is giving his disciples because he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's trying to give them everything that they will need to know to be his disciples for the long run and to carry out the mission of the church. And so one of the things he tells them about we just read is that he has to leave. And when he does, that there will be a helper that comes, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit will come. The Spirit of truth will be with them. And one of the things we need to ask in a moment like this is, what did Jesus think he was saying when he was saying that the spirit of truth would be on the disciples? What did he know of the spirit? Well, that goes all the way back to Genesis, where Jesus was there with God creator, And also, it says in the opening lines of the book of Genesis that the Spirit 
was hovering over the waters. In the Hebrew, it could be translated as the wasteland. It's the tovu vavohu, the darkness and void. And so this hovering image is a bird-like image of the spirit being over a barren wasteland, but out of the presence of the Holy Spirit, what was barren and waste is becoming life. A liturgy of life, a processional of life is flowing from the Holy Spirit's work in the Trinity out into the world, creating everything that we know here. This image is picked up significantly with Mary. You know the story, the Christmas story, where Mary is told that she's going to bear a child, but she knows that she hasn't had relations with Joseph, and so she's very confused because her womb is barren. But what does the angel say to her? She said, the angel says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And so there's this way in which the Spirit is hovering over the barrenness of Mary's womb. And it will be the Spirit that creates new life within Mary. We see this again at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus is um, in, in the river Jordan with John, and he willingly, though he is God on earth, willingly submits himself into baptism. And as he descends into the water, that same water, this is an echo of Genesis, it says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And then in the Gospel of John, the one that we just read, it comments that actually the Spirit remained on Jesus from then on. And so what the Spirit does from the beginning and the Spirit that Jesus was talking about when he was teaching his disciples the help that the Spirit would be is that the Spirit comes, comes into the places that are barren and dark and in need of new life and hovers and waits, waits for people that are willing to be open to its presence, to invite it in, and to say, come, as Jesus did when he submitted himself into baptism. That was an invitation for the spirit of the living God to come swooping in. I'll never forget the very first memorial I did uh, for Pastor Mark here at St. Andrews. He was out of town. I didn't do the actual church memorial. I just did the graveside part of the service. And it was kind of one of those things where Mark didn't know he was going to be out of town, and then he was, and then he called me up, and he said, hey, kid, you're in the game. Time to go. And I was like, he didn't give me any instructions. I had a quick chat about what I might be doing. Just the kind of preparation you want to do for a memorial service. And it was a hot summer day. And so uh, when I showed up, I was told that there was going to be taps. It was a military funeral. But the uh, soldiers who were going to do the taps had not showed up yet. But it was really hot, so everyone wanted to start on time. 
And so there was this sense in which we needed to go with this graveside until the people that were going to do the taps were going to show up. Well, I only had a certain amount of remarks. And then I was going to open it up for anybody else who wanted to make remarks. So we go through uh, the various elements of the grade side service, and I'm just praying, Lord, please send the taps. Please send the taps. I had spoken my brief part. I get done. I open it up. Nobody wants to say anything. And the taps have not come. And now I'm looking over at a void wasteland of not having any prepared remarks. And so I say a prayer and I just start talking. God, would you speak through me? And so I talked until the taps arrived. And I have never been more relieved when they showed up. But afterwards, when the man who worked at uh, the funeral service came and said, hey, that was pretty good. Would you like to do more of these? Can I get your card? I thought, if you only knew. If you only knew. There's a way in which God wants to send his spirit to each and every one of you in the barren wastelands of your soul, and by his spoken word, he's coming. He's coming. He wants every dark place, every void, to spring forth new life by his spirit. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is it's creative and dynamic and looks at problems, not to complain, but looks at problems in order to bring forward a solution, a more creative solution than one we could have come up with on our own. There's a sense in which, as a pastor, I get up every week to do an impossible task, because I cannot make you grow in your spiritual life, in my own gifts, talents, and abilities. And so I spend a lot of time in prayer and dependence on God, hoping that the Holy Spirit would do the work that needs to be done so that you would grow in your relationship to God. And so I come just to represent the scriptures and to teach them, knowing that that's what brings the true life change, knowing that that's what's brought it for me and hoping that God will do the same and praying and knowing that he will do the same in you if you are willing to be with him and open yourself to him. One last story. I think sometimes we assume that we need to have it all together in order to have the Holy Spirit work in our lives. But I have been in situations where the exact opposite is true. Really what we need to do is to just try and be where God is. And one example of that is a uh, youth trip that I led many years ago. And I think the statute of limitations is up so I can share this story with you. But 
we had gone off the camp, and maybe some of you know the story, but um, it was a miserable camp for me because there was a student at the camp who had decided to do multiple marijuana infractions at camp. And so I spent most of my time with this one student trying to figure out how to love the one student to the best of my ability to know what to do. Does he need to go home? Does he need to stay? Well, while all of my time was being consumed by this one student and I was just becoming drained and frustrated and upset, I had gone up the mountain to have this wonderful holy experience and now I'm having this totally disappointing experience. There was another intern that was there with me. Her name was Ashley Love. And she was really trying to figure out what she should do with her life at the time. And so we were sitting, I was trying to get a brief break from all of the chaos, and I was sitting with Ashley and, and my wife, and we were having a coffee and was just kind of thinking about all my problems until she started explaining that she was running basically the entire youth group without me. And I felt this deep impression, like in this one moment, I just needed to tell her, Ashley, I think you should be a pastor. And so I told her that. And she just received it with a stunned look on her face, like no one's ever been that direct. And I got to share that story at her ordination service a year ago. As I watched this beautiful church, this beautiful Presbyterian church uh, up north, so excited that they had a new pastor, Ashley Love. And so it was in total weakness, in total a failure for me, that I got to see the spirit of the living God work in Ashley's life. And I pray that you would know that it is only by your offering of yourself to the work of the Spirit that he can use you to do wonderful things within the world. One final uh, scripture that I wanted to share with you. Actually, can we go to the one from Numbers? Is that all right, Heather? This is a story about Moses. And takes place in a time where he is overwhelmed as a leader. And one of the reasons why he's overwhelmed is he is the only one who has seen the spirit of the living God. And so he pleads with God and he says, God, would you give your spirit to some more people so they can know what I know? And God says, okay, get 70 leaders and bring them to the temple, and I will give them my spirit. And so God does. He gives them the spirit, but it says in the text that it only stayed with them for a little while. But curiously, two others who were not at this meeting also received the spirit of the living God, Bildad and Eldad. And so when some of the leaders from the meeting saw these two, they were offended and they went to Moses and they said, Moses, these two have the spirit. 
but they weren't at the meeting. And this is what Moses' response was. He said, but Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And do you see how we are the answer to Moses' prayer and the great promise of God is that he gives us his spirit now to help us, to lead us, and to guide us. And so may we receive it together. Lord Jesus, send your helper upon all of the places in which we need new life. Lord, as we go to communion, would you prepare our hearts for the work in which you desire to do in us. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given your spirit. We thank you for the history that you've made through us in your spirit. May you make more and grow us in your power. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.